Welcome to today's podcast from Sherwood Baptist Church. For more information on Sherwood or Pastor Michael Catt, visit our website at SherwoodBaptist.net. And now, here's Pastor Michael Catt. Uh, we're going to wrap up Galatians, believe it or not. Uh, but I was uh, pressed hard by the Lord this week with uh, the previous message and then this one because I think it really summarizes where my head and my heart have been uh, over the last weeks and months trying to get my arms around not just what Galatians is saying, but what God's trying to do in the life of our church, what He wants to do, and the things that we need to be careful of. And so I want us to talk in this message about glorying in the cross. Paul is, I, I tell you what, Paul Paul would have not been one of those preachers that you would have enjoyed listening to. He was not a feel-good preacher. In fact, Paul, when he writes Galatians, is pretty much ticked off. Uh, he's angry. He's upset. And I mean, wouldn't you be? You go and you win people to Christ and you found a church and all of a sudden somebody comes in the day you leaves and starts trying to change the church into what they want it to be. And, and you think, hey, what's, what's going on here? What's the deal? I, I preached the gospel. I told you about Jesus. You came to the cross, and, and now you're buying into this legalism. Now you're listening to these Judaizers. You know, I no more get out the door and, and get out the city limits, and, and you're starting to buy a false gospel, which is really not the gospel. And, and people that think that the gospel is always sweet and nice and syrupy and sugary haven't read the Bible. There is always a prophetic edge to the Word of God. While God is a God of love, He's also a God that gives us a prophetic edge to the message that always says you better pay attention to what's going on. You better pay attention to your surroundings. You better pay attention to the things that are influencing you and that you're falling for or believing or inclined to believe because where you go with that may end you up on a path where you don't want to be. And so Paul uses Galatians like a sword uh, he does, in some sense, minor surgery with Galatians. He does major surgery with Romans. Uh, just from a doctrinal standpoint and from a positional standpoint about the cross, and he is very upset about these people that are perverting and distorting the simplicity of the cross. And as I was sitting here tonight, I was uh, worshiping and listening to the uh, Chi Alpha, but I also wrote down in the corner of my, of my notes, one thing that bothered Paul bothers me. It may be the only thing Paul and I have in common. Legalists are never evangelistic except to evangelize Christians to their way of thinking. Legalists don't care about lost people. Legalists only care that you agree with them. And if you want to know who's legalistic, find out who doesn't give a rip about lost people. And no matter how online they are, if they don't care about lost people, they don't care about the gospel. That's just that simple. I mean, it doesn't get any simpler than that. The Great Commission did not get laid aside so we could go deep with God. The Great Commission is not put to the side so that we can have our discussions about how we can meditate on our navels and figure out which 
is the name of the rider of the fourth horse of the beast and what his hoof looks like. That's not the important stuff. The Son of Man came, purpose statement, came to seek and save the lost. If it ever gets to be anything else, then we've lost our purpose. And so I want to look at what Paul says. Paul now takes the pen from his secretary, and he says, See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. Those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh try to compel you to be circumcised simply so that they will not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. Now, now let me tell you why. The cross brings persecution. It's inevitable. Jesus said, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. If they persecute me, they're going to persecute you. When, when, when Paul said, when I leave, when he said to the Ephesians, when I leave, wolves are going to come in among you. They're going to try to devour you. You see, if you don't preach the cross, if you just talk about God and love and peace, you sound like a hippie. You talk about the cross, it is offensive to the world. And he says these people want to form a Christianity that never confronts the world with its sin that never stands up and says, thus says the Lord. This is what the cross means. This is the, what God had in mind. This is how bad our sin was. And so he says, they, they want to get you to just do something so that they don't have to be persecuted for the cross. For those who are circumcised do not even keep the law to themselves. In other words, whatever the standard they're telling you to live up to, they're not even living up to it themselves. They're not walking their talk. But they desire to have you circumcised so that they may boast in your flesh. But may it never be. Meganoito, God forbid. May it never be. He is emphatic. And I tell you what, the pen probably got shaky at this point. May it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither is circumcision anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And those who will walk by this rule, peace and mercy may be upon them and upon the Israel of God, the true people of God. From now on, let no one cause trouble for me, for I bear on my body the brand marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brethren. Amen. Verse 14 is one of the crowning statements of the Christian life. May it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice that he uses every name, Lord Jesus Christ. May it never be. By the way, you measure a person by what they boast in. If you want to know the character of a person, if you want to know the core of a person, find out what they brag about. Find out what they boast in. Find out what they thump their chest about because the object of their pride and their confidence will be what they boast about. Shallow people boast about shallow things. And superficial people boast about superficial things. Here, here's the problem. 
the world tends to think we're all losers. You realize that? I mean, the world thinks, you know, only losers come to Christ. I mean, after all, it, there are a lot better deals out there, so you must be a real loser if you, if you went to the cross and said you're a sinner and you needed a Savior and you couldn't save yourself. What a loser you must be. And the world thinks that Christians are losers. You know, after all, if you had any sense at all, you'd be somewhere other than church on Sunday because there's so many other options. So the world, when the world looks at us, they think, man, they, they hadn't got anything going for them. How many times have you seen in the media Christianity portrayed as a bunch of dumb people that don't know how to think? You ever seen that? You know why? Because they think we're dumb people who don't know how to think. I would say, put your best challenge up against the Apostle Paul and see how he stands up. Paul's the greatest mind that ever walked the face of the earth, human being. And nobody could match him intellectually. In fact, Paul talks about, you know, man, if, if, if you read Paul's letter, he says, if anybody can boast, I can boast. If you want to know somebody who can, who can talk about their credentials, who's got a resume so long, it looks like a Sears and Roebuck catalog, I've got it. Paul says, I was a Jew of Jews. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. I've got great heritage. I've got a PhD from everywhere you could get one. I know more than anybody else. But he says, in my flesh dwells no good thing. That means nothing to me, Matt. In fact, in one place, Paul says, it's dung, it's manure. When I look at my life before Christ, all of my accomplishments are nothing more than a pile of manure. That's exactly the word that he uses. He says, if you want to, want to know what I think about how great I was, I think it's nothing. That's how, kind of hard for us to think that anybody that was as good as Paul would say that, isn't it? Except that grace had so overwhelmed him that he couldn't brag about anything but grace. And so here's Paul. And he writes about the cross, which was repulsive in the first century. It wasn't a piece of jewelry. It wasn't a ring. It wasn't a t-shirt. The cross was repulsive. It was a symbol of death. And Paul confronts them in glorying in something other than the cross. And if you look at it, these Judaizers are trying to make converts within the church of Galatia. Now, here's what they're doing. They're inside the church. Everybody in this church has come under the influence of Paul's preaching for the grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they're coming off to the side, and they're getting converts, and they say, no, what you need to do is you need to keep the law. You need to keep the rules. You need to obey the law of Moses. You need to be circumcised. You need to be this. And they're bragging about their converts to denominational headquarters. Look at how many we got from that church. We got, now we got two churches. We got a church inside the church, and those of us on this side that keep all the rules are more spiritual than those on this side that just believe it's all about grace. And so they're bragging about their converts, and it, it, they're trying to convert people to their form of Christianity. And folks, I've been at this 35 years now, and I can tell you, the Judaizers are still among us. They're everywhere. They're in every town. They're in every denomination trying to convert people to their form of Christianity. Here's what they do. They'll meet some new believer that's just in love with Jesus, and they'll pull them off to the side and say, I've got something 
better than what they're telling you at the church. I can take you further than they're telling you. I know more than the pastor knows. I, I'm smarter than the staff. Uh, I know more than, than your Sunday school teacher. Your Sunday school teacher is not doing enough. I know more of this. And they'll pull you off to the side, not because they're trying to win you to Christ, but because they're trying to stack their numbers in their favor. Hello? And it happens all the time. You see, that's the way, one of the ways that Satan destroys the unity of a church. He gets little clique groups going. I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas, and I'm, a really, I'm really in the best group. I'm of Jesus. And that's always carnality. It's always carnality. And so what these people were doing, they're saying, you need to take the cross and you need to add the law to it. But you have to watch it because even religious activity can be a rival to the cross. They were glorying in what they were doing or in what they were telling people they needed to do. Paul said, I glory in what God has done. This is so subtle. We can come right up to the line of glorying in achievements even in the name of Christ. We can come up to the line of glorying in achievements even in the name of Christ. And then we're not glorying in the cross. We're glorying in what we've done. Now, <clears throat> as the old Scottish farmer said, I would not harm thee for the world. But I am about to shoot where thou standest. Let me just make some observations. We're the church that made a movie. Twenty million people have seen our movie. I just did the math today. There are 2.5 billion Christians in the world. 20 million have seen our movie. We ain't all that. Yeah, but we've influenced. Watch what you're bragging on. You're not the one that showed it in another church somewhere. It's just a tool. And the day we start patting ourselves on the back about how good we are and what we've done to reach the world from Albany, Georgia, we lose the glory. We could even become Pharisees about it because we're reaching people in China, but do we even know the names of the people one block away from this building? We can either glory in what we're doing, even when we're doing it in the name of Christ, or we can glory in Christ. But I tell you this, you can't glory in the cross and glory in anything else at the same time. You realize you can't think two thoughts at the same time? Let me just try to think two thoughts at the same time. You can't. 
You can't glory in two things at the same time either. You only glory in one. Yourself, what you're doing, or the cross. The cross is the ultimate demonstration of God's love. And it is the ultimate reminder of my sinfulness. Even my goodness nailed Jesus to the cross. Not just my sinfulness, my goodness. For my righteousness is as filthy rags. So, quickly. First of all, the cross gave me a new life, for neither is circumcision anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. Now, you can change that word circumcision to baptism, church membership, committee service, doctrinal position, denomination. Paul says it's all nothing. What matters is are you a new creation in Christ? That's all that matters. Can people see in you the fruit of the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, and a changed life? Paul says that's what matters. So what do you glory in? First of all, your achievements don't make you a new person. Your achievements don't make you a new person. Your doctrine doesn't make you a new person. Not only do your achievements not make you a new person, your doctrine doesn't make you a new person, your church membership doesn't make you a new person. I got to think about it. I was a member of a Southern Baptist church for nine years before I was saved. The church membership didn't do me any good. I'd have gone to hell if I hadn't been saved as a member of a church. Baptized member of a church. But it wasn't until I realized that I was a lost sinner and never truly trusted Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. I was a church member when I realized that. Your gifts don't make you a new person. And your baptism doesn't make you a new person. The only thing that makes you and I a new person is the cross. So the cross gives me a new life, but not only that, it gives me a new lifestyle. Verse 14, except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. You see, the cross makes me not only a new person, but it gives me a new perspective. It gives me a new perspective. Now look at what he says. He says, by the cross, I have been crucified to the world, and the world is crucified to me. As far as the world is concerned, I'm dead. The world used to be interested in me, wanted to appeal to me, wanted to talk to me, wanted to flirt with me. But, but now, at the cross, the world says, wasting our time. Paul says, I'm dead to the world. I'm crucified to the world, and the world is crucified to me. It, Paul says, as far as I'm concerned, the world doesn't, doesn't exist anymore. I don't care about what's, what's out there. I don't care what the world has to offer. I don't value it. I used to value it, but I don't value it anymore because it holds no value in my heart. It is not a part of my agenda. There are things about the world that appeal to me. But I'd like to get to the point where the world could show me everything it has to offer and I could walk away and say, no thanks. I don't need that. I don't need it to be fulfilled. I don't need it to be content. I don't need it to be happy. I don't need it to have a sense of purpose. I don't need it. It may appeal to me, but I don't need it. 
There's some funny stories about Roger Breland's dad. Roger said, I remember when he was like 15, 16 years old, he said that some kid that lived down the street from him got a, got a car. And Roger said, you know, we had one car in our family. He said, this dad bought son a car. And he went to him and said, Dad, you know, uh, you know, John got a car. His dad said, that's because John needs a car. You don't need one. I said, but Dad, I need a car. He said, no, you don't. If you need one, you'd have one. You don't need it. I'd like to, don't need it. Terry and I were talking the other day. We, we've, I mean, we, to, Friday was our 33rd anniversary. You know, we, we just, we just thought, is there, there's nothing we need. It's not like, oh, drop a hint. Get me this. <laughs> there's really nothing we need. I told her about something I wanted. She said, why do you need it? <laughs> what the Holy Spirit cannot do, my wife can. <laughs> Paul says, I'm dead to the world. And then the last thing, the cross gives us a new pattern for living, verse 16. And those who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. That word rule is a word for a surveyor's line or a measuring rod. He said, the measurement of my life is the cross, that I glory in the cross. He's the object of my affection. Then he uses two words. He says, if we walk by the rule, the law of glorying in the cross, if that's our measuring standard for our lives is glorying in the cross, two things you can be guaranteed of. First of all is peace. Peace is the positive aspects of God's blessing. The positive aspects of God's blessing. It's my position of realizing God has abundantly blessed my life. Because if He gave us anything or nothing, we have nothing to complain about. Because He's already been better to us than we deserve, hasn't He? Hasn't He? Thank you. Mercy is God's benevolent activity on my part to help me when I need help. What did the thief on the cross say? Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. It's God's benevolent activity on my part when I need help. And by the way, mercy guarantees the peace. They go hand in hand. Verse 17. Paul gets one more shot over the bow as he's about to wrap this up. He ends on a nice verse, but he gets one more shot over the bow. And it, verse 17. For now on, let no one tr cause trouble for me, for I bear on my body the brand marks of Jesus. Paul, here's, the, here's the summation of the evidence of grace, the brand marks of Jesus. The word is stigmata, the stigma of the cross. Not something pretty. But Paul says, I'm tired of arguing, tired of debating, tired of discussing. Judaizers, y'all need to leave me alone. Because I bear on my mark the brand marks of Jesus Christ. 
you try to keep from being persecuted. You try to keep from taking a stand. You try to make people convinced with you. But you can look at me and tell that I've stood up for Jesus Christ. I want to ask you a question. Can people look to us and tell that we've stood up for Jesus Christ? You can look at Paul, stoned, shipwrecked, left for dead. I mean, the, the miles that were on his body. Remember that scene in, in Indiana Jones where Harrison Ford says, it's not the years, it's the miles? I mean, the miles that were on Paul's body were unbelievable. And what he had gone through for the cross, Paul said, if you want to know what I stand for, you want to see how many stripes are on my back that have healed over over time? That's what I stand for. I took those for the cross. And Paul says to the Judaizers, I don't see any marks on you. I don't see that you've paid any price. I don't see that it's cost you anything to live your gospel. Seems to be pretty easy for you. Paul says, I bear on my body these marks. And their, their pattern was circumcision in the law. Today it could be anything. It could be creeds or doctrines or baptism or church membership or whatever it is. But those are not marks of the cross. Paul talks here about the branding of a slave. And you know what these Judaizers wanted to do? They wanted to keep going tit for tat with, with Paul. They wanted to have a, a debate with him about, is it the gospel plus the law? Is it the gospel without the law? And Paul said, I'm not going to talk to you about that anymore. I'm through talking to you. I'm not going to talk to you. You can't get an appointment with me to talk about that. I'm through arguing with you. I'm just going to bear on my body the marks of the cross. I'm just going to live for Jesus. Y'all go do whatever you want to do. But if you want to know where I stand, I stand at the cross. Paul is over and over and over again taking it to the cross. Now, what did that branding indicate? Any, any of you ever branded a cow or a horse? Leaves a mark, doesn't it? I remember helping my grandfather one time with that. The cow wasn't very happy. It was good for my grandfather in case the cow got out of the fence, but the cow didn't think it was good at the time. In fact, I specifically remember him saying, you might want to move out from behind that cow when I stick this iron on him. Why? Just come around and stand right here. Paul is talking about the branding of a slave. And, and it's a very obvious picture to the people that he's writing to. It's a common practice that the slaves would be branded. They would be marked on their skin in some way to identify them with their owner. And there's two things here. First of all, a brand indicates possession. A brand indicates possession. That I am possessed by Christ, that Jesus is my master and I am his slave. It indicates possession. It's not a t-shirt. It's not a ball hat. It's not a bumper sticker. It's a life that indicates that Christ has possession of me. And I am his. Lock, stock, and barrel. Secondly, it indicates pride of identification. It indicates pride of identification. Now, that's not the wrong kind of pride. That's the right kind of pride. There's some things you ought to be proud of. You ought to be proud of the cross. You ought to be proud of Jesus. 
Paul says, if you want to be great, you be a servant. Abraham was called a servant of God. Moses was called a servant of God. David was called a servant of God. I want to take you back to the background of what Paul is doing. Exodus chapter 21. We're almost through. Exodus chapter 21. This is the background where Paul is talking about this branding of a slave. Exodus 21 and verse 1. Now these are the ordinances which you are to set before them. If you buy a Hebrew slave, he shall serve for six years. But on the seventh, he shall go out as a free man without payment. Verse 5. But if the slave plainly says, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out as a free man. Then his master shall bring him to God. Then he shall bring him to the door or the doorpost. And the master shall pierce his ear with an awl, and he shall serve him permanently. Now, right by verse 6, write Psalm 40 and verse 6. Sacrifice and meal offering you have not desired. My ears have been opened. And that word open there in Psalm 40. Verse 6 is the word for pierce. Here's the picture. This slave has been serving for six years. He's now able to be set free. But he goes to his master and says, Master, I don't want to be free. I want to still serve you. And so the master takes him and he takes his ear. And this is not the little piercing like you get at all the little piercing and tattoo. I mean, this guy drives something about that big through his ear. And he doesn't numb it. And he makes a distinguishing mark on that slave. And let me tell you why that's important. Because that slave had an opportunity to walk away and do whatever he wanted to do. Live life on his own terms. Go wherever he wanted to go. Live wherever he wanted to live. Get whatever job he wanted to get. He was free to do that. And he said to the master... I choose to be your slave. And the master drives that all into his ear. And he doesn't wear a piece of jewelry in it. It's just a hole. And when that slave walks down the street, people look at him, and that's the mark of a man who could have been free but chooses to serve. And people look at him and say, that slave must really love his master to give up his own freedom to serve for the rest of his life. But that's not all they say. When they see that slave who has given up his freedom to serve the master, they not only look and they are impressed with what the slave has done, they think that master must be a great master for that slave to want to serve him all his life. So it's a witness of the slave's yieldedness, and it is a witness of the greatness of the master. Folks, I'm free to live, to do whatever I want to do. But I choose to go to the master and say, 
mark me by the cross so that when people see me, they will say, you know, he could do something else. But he's chosen to be a Christian who loves Jesus, and his God must be a great God for him to make that choice. Oh, by the way, once you choose the master, when you're free to walk away, once you choose the master, then the master takes you as his responsibility for the rest of your life. That's why those who live by this rule have peace and mercy. Oh, folks, listen. If we walked out of here this week and people could somehow look at our lives and say, they must have a great God for them to serve him more than just showing up at church. We ought to find out what their God's like and who their God is. Because they're doing this because they want to do it. Why? Because we've been to the cross. And it doesn't ever get any better than the cross. You can't improve on the cross. There is no higher motive for our lives than the cross of Jesus Christ. Anything else you'll lose your motivation. At the cross was where I first saw the light. And God took away my sins. And God offered me a new life and set me free from the bondage of sin and death and from the penalty of sin and from the power of sin. And it's at the cross that I said, I choose to stay. Thanks for listening to today's podcast from Sherwood Baptist Church and Pastor Michael Catt. For more information about Sherwood, you can visit our website at sherwoodbaptist.net. If you live or visit in the Albany area, we invite you to worship with us here at Sherwood. Thanks again for listening, and have a great day.